Good morning. It's good to see. Well, you guys sound good. You sound like you're excited to be here. It's amazing. How of you'd rather be here than the best windstorm in town? Yeah, was that incredible last night? We were having church here last night, and uh, all the lights went off. The sound system went off. I thought, what am I going to do? And then I remembered back when I was a kid, when my dad used to not have sound systems, they just shouted. That's why preachers seem like they're mad, is because the sound system goes off. So I just shouted a little bit. So I'm real happy today. But I'm glad you guys are here. I want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us right now from an off-site campus or on the internet, podcast, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you are along. All right, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had doubts? All right, almost 100%. Um, today's topic covers just about everybody. You know, you sit up straight in your bed in the middle of the night with a thought like, what if Christianity isn't true? Or you know you've been forgiven of something. Maybe in one of our services, you know, we talk about asking for forgiveness and repenting and you go to the cross and you put something on the cross. And you know you've been forgiven, but you don't feel like it. You don't feel very forgiven. You have doubts about that. Or maybe you pray about something. And you pray and you pray and you pray and and it just feels like nobody is home in heaven. Have you ever been there? And you have doubts. Or maybe a thought comes to mind, am I really a Christian? Was I really sincere? When I prayed and committed my life, was I really sincere about that? You're struggling with stuff and you wonder about it. Somebody said there are three kinds of people in life. Those who can count and those who can't. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> throw you a bone every once in a while, you got to laugh, okay? <laughs> three kinds of people in life. Those who have doubts, those who will have doubts, and those who are dead, okay? So we're all kind of there. Take your pulse. You're, you're there. Sooner or later, you're going to have questions about stuff. And So the question is really not whether you have doubts or not or whether you will have doubts or not. The question is, what will I do with them? How will I handle them? Will they shipwreck my faith? See, I I know just a few things about doubts. I I know that we all have them. I know that they can limit our potential. In fact, Jesus said to His disciples one time He did something that was, you know, incredible that they'd never seen before and Matthew twenty one twenty one. Jesus told them, I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to the mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. And Jesus was saying to them, you know what? There's a lot more that God wants to do through you. You haven't reached the peak of what God wants to do through you. But the limit on what, how God can use you will be your doubt. Your doubt stands between you and your potential. I know this too, that there's good news. The doubt can be overcome. So what I want to do today, we're in a series that we're calling Vantage Point. And for the last few weeks, we have looked at some characters uh, from the Easter story and their vantage point on the way to the cross, how they saw the cross, how they saw the death of Jesus, 
the resurrection of Jesus and, and how the event really changed their life. And so today I want to do that. And the character that I want to study is who? Thomas. What do you know about Thomas? What a bummer. I mean, you know, to, to go through your whole life to serve Jesus, here's what we know about Thomas. Thomas left everything, everything to follow Jesus. He's a fisherman, probably doing pretty well. Jesus comes along, he cashes it all in and follows him. And he does pretty well. In fact, we're going to look at everything we know about Thomas. And there's this one instance, this one little tiny thing that any of us could have done, probably all of us have. And he's labeled for all of history as doubting Thomas. Well, I think a better label of him would be believing Thomas because he didn't get stuck in his doubts. He moved beyond him. So what I want to do is I want to look at his story, okay? And I want to tell you more about Thomas than you ever possibly could have wanted to know. And hopefully it will be interesting and hopefully it will be helpful to you in your walk of faith. Before we talk about doubting Thomas, I want to talk about two other pictures of Thomas because there's, there's basically three passages of Scripture that give us a picture of who Thomas was. The first one I would call uh, actually brave Thomas. Brave Thomas. Shortly before that very first Easter, Jesus was with the disciples and he got a message uh, from a friend of his that a very close friend, whose name was Lazarus, was sick, was really, really sick. And in John 11, in chapter, uh, uh, John chapter 11, verses 5 through about 16, it kind of tells a story and it says this, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister uh, Mary and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's just strange. When he, or he it says he loved uh, Martha and he loved Mary and he loved Lazarus. And when someone said to him, Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer. Have, You ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? Yeah. You're in a hurry to have an answer to prayer. You're in a hurry to get well. You're in a hurry to get married. You're in a hurry to have kids. Whatever it happened to be. You're in a hurry and God, where are you? Here's just a little piece. This is free. Doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the message. God has his reasons. Can you say that to the person next to you? God has his reasons. He had a reason for this. Now the disciples, or Jesus said to the disciples, he said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go down and we're going to see him after kind of hanging out for a couple of days. And the disciples said, that's really not a good idea, Jesus. Because last time we were down there, they tried to kill you. And if we go down there again, chances are they'll try to kill you again. We might get killed. This is not good. And so Jesus says, well, here's the deal. Lazarus is sleeping and I need to awaken him. And they say, well, (laughs) Jesus, if he's asleep, I'll just bet he wakes up. And Jesus goes, you don't get it. He's dead. Okay, he's dead. And I've allowed him to die so that your faith will be built. And we got to go down there. And they're going, we can't do this. We can't do this. You know, this is not the right thing. And in your outline sheet, did you get it? So brave Thomas. Now, it doesn't say brave in there, but I'm trying to cut cut the guy some slack. Okay, so I I put it in. 
So brave Thomas called the, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. Brave Thomas. says, let's go. I'm ready to die. We'll follow Jesus. I signed on for this. Let's go, brave Thomas. Second time we see Thomas, we could have called him Honest Thomas. Honest Thomas. A few days later, the disciples are holed up in a room and Jesus knows the end is near. They don't. So he's telling them what's going to happen in the next few days. In John 14, we'll pick up the narrative. Jesus says, don't be troubled. You trust God now. Trust me. There are many rooms in my Father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know where I'm going and how to get there. Uh, Thomas says, uh, no, we really don't know, Lord. Uh, we haven't any idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? <laughs> this is like the, do you remember being in school? Maybe you're in over your head. I was, some of you weren't. I didn't like you, you know, but <laughs> I was in algebra or trigonometry or something like that, you know, and the teacher explains something and then says, everybody got it. And you, you look around and you know, nobody gets it. But nobody wants to say anything. But there was this one kid, Thomas. You remember him? Thomas would raise his hand and say, I, 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 I don't get it. You go, oh, gosh. But you were kind of happy that he said it because <laughs> you didn't get it. And so here we've got brave, honest Thomas who goes, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you to death, but just give me the GPS coordinates, okay? Like, don't, I'm not really uh, getting what, what you're saying here. It's the second picture of Thomas. Honest Thomas. Third picture of Thomas is the one that we all know him as, and that's Doubting Thomas. Following up the story, so Jesus takes the disciples with him to visit his friend Lazarus. He lives in Bethany. Lazarus has died. And it's a sad scene. There are mourners everywhere, and they're wailing and crying. And Mary and Martha come up to Jesus as they see him, and they said, Master, what? Why couldn't you have come sooner? They'd seen him heal people. They knew that's what he did. And now it's too late. Now it's too late. Jesus scatters the mourners. And he says to the disciples, I've done this for you. Because I, I want you to see how I can bring life where there's death. You know, for some of you today, honestly, there's a dead place that's causing you to doubt. It might be a, a dream that's on life support or maybe it's already died. It could be a relationship. It could be something that you were really, really hoping for and you don't even want to admit your doubts, but you really, God, where are you? And it's for moments like that that God bursts into our life with just incredible things. It's, it's those, those moments that you go, you step back and you go, only God. Have you ever been in an only God moment when it's like only God could have brought that about? And that, that's what, what it was here. Jesus calls, you know, to the, he says, roll back the stone. And they said, we can't, it's going to smell. He's starting to decay. And he said, it's all right. Nothing's ever too far gone for me. Lazarus come forth. And so out of the cave comes Lazarus. The place goes crazy. The word spreads. In fact, shortly after that, Jesus on what's called Palm Sunday, this Sunday, 
Jesus goes into Jerusalem. You remember, you remember the story. I mean, he, they, they rent a, a, a donkey and he rides in and, and it's like a parade for a king. Why, and there are thousands of people there shouting Hosanna. Why are they there and why are they shouting that? Because they just heard about Lazarus. This hadn't been done before. This guy, I mean, yeah, he'd, you know, he'd, uh, the story was that he'd prayed for a guy's daughter and she'd raised from the dead and a guy's son and all this. But see, those guys were just like, it was fresh and maybe they weren't really dead and we don't know. But this guy's been in a tomb for two or three days. Jesus has done this and so they're all there and they're cheering him on and then somewhere during the week the religious leaders turn the crowd against him. They arrest him. Judas betrays him and he's crucified. The very thing that they were afraid of when they said, Jesus, it's not a good idea to go back down there has now happened on a grander scale and all their lives are at risk. And on that Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, we're going to talk about her just a little bit next week. Mary Magdalene is going to the tomb. Why she's going to the tomb? Because Jesus died on Friday. The Sabbath starts at sundown Friday. Couldn't leave his body to hang. There wasn't enough time to properly dress the body. And now she's got to go back after the fact, two days later. And She's dreading the walk, no doubt. And she goes and, you know the story, she finds the tomb empty and there's an angel there and she, she runs and Jesus appears to her and she goes and she tells uh, Peter and John and they come back and they see Jesus and the disciples. Are, they don't know what to make of it, but something has happened. And, and, so, and so on Easter Sunday night, they, they go back into this room and, and they've locked the door so that the authorities won't find them. They're still afraid. They're in this locked room and they're discussing among themselves, what have we seen, what happened? And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he, and, and he shows up and he says, look at the nail prints in my side. You, you saw I'm alive. I have conquered death. And then he commissions them. And he says, you know what? Just as God sent me, I'm sending you. You're, you're, you're on mission now. Your life's not your own. And by the way, that commission goes clear to us today. Because Jesus is alive, we have a purpose. We have a mission. And we're to live our life on mission. And if we do, God works through us in ways that we never could have dreamed. And so He commissions them. But the, here's the problem. There's two of his key guys missing. Judas is missing because he's hung himself. But Thomas isn't there either. Everybody, there's, there's 10 of them. And then there's the, the, those in the outside circle. But of the, of the 12, there's, there's two that aren't there. Where, where's Thomas? Where's Thomas? Why is he not there? Maybe he makes a beverage run. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think so. I think what's happened to Thomas is, is he's acted on what everybody else is thinking. He's saying, I'm, I'm done. I believed, I followed, I tried, I was all in. I was brave, I was honest, and this is what it gets me. I'm done. I'm not going to go there again. It hurts too bad. So the disciples, they look around, and we pick up the narrative in verse 24. It says, one of the disciples, Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came. In verse 25, they told him, we have seen the Lord. Somebody goes and gets Thomas. How many of you are glad somebody came and got you? Maybe you were on the outside looking in at one point. And somebody said to you, you, 
you got to come. That, that's what this church is built on is just normal people, you know, who've encountered Jesus and then they go and they tell their friends. And by the way, did you know Easter's coming next week? Were you aware of that? We're in the South. Everybody goes to church on Easter. And there's somebody in your life that's on the outside looking in. They're the Thomas in your life. They're on the outside looking in. And I want to challenge you. Take the little thing that's in the bulletin. Do, be praying about it. I know a lot of you are. Bring somebody with you next week. Okay? Who knows? They may see Jesus. And it may change their life like it changed your life. So he said to Thomas, we've, we've seen Jesus. We've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. For that one statement, he is forever ever labeled with an adjective, doubting Thomas. All he wanted was the same thing they got, right? Eight days before, Jesus came and he said, here, put your hands here. Put your hands on my side. It's all Thomas wants. But he's called doubting Thomas. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hand and put your hand into the wound on my side. I love the fact that he didn't chew him out first. Now he chewed him out just a little bit later. That's okay, just a little, little deal. But he says, you know what, I know what you need. I know what you need. And God knows what you need. I mean, if you're here with doubts, God knows. He's got you in the right place. He knows what you need. And he'll, he'll do what you need in order to prove himself to you. And so he says, don't be faithless any longer. He said, believe. There's a time to believe. There's a time to put the doubts down and to believe. And Thomas does. He says, my Lord, my God. Now he's ready to step into his destiny. He's not doubting Thomas anymore. He's believing Thomas. And God can fully use him. And then in verse 29, Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and they believe anyway. He says there's a special blessing on people like you and I who were not a part of the story. We have not seen and yet we believe anyway. So what do you do? That's the story. What I want to do is just pull out a couple of principles. And this is going to be kind of fun because you've got your outline sheet. How many of you have your outline sheet? Okay, crumble it up. <laughs> actually, actually, t- take your pen and just mark through the things on, on, on the back. We're not going there. We went there last night. It didn't work. So we're not going there. Okay, we're not going there. Last weekend, we celebrated 23 years at Seacoast. I think I have the right to change the message. What, what, what do you think? Okay. I'm going to give you the same information. It's just going to be a little bit different package. Those of you who, you're going to have nightmares tonight because you're never going to know what the blanks are. I'm just going to pray for you right now. Just pray in Jesus' name that you'll be healed. Okay. Let me give you three thoughts. Same principles, three thoughts, better package. What do you do when you're drowning in a tidal wave of doubt? Number one, just show up. Just show up. See, that, that, that's what... Thomas did. Sometimes when you're overwhelmed by doubt, sometimes the best thing you can do is just show up. Why do I say that? Because the easiest thing to do when you're hurt, 
when you're confused, when you're disappointed, when you're discouraged, when the results weren't what you were expecting. The vote didn't turn out right. You know, the, the, you didn't get the job. You didn't make the team. Didn't make the great. When the results weren't what you were expecting, here's what you want to do. You want to just stay home. You want to not go. I, I, I don't feel like going tonight. I know this is small group night, but I don't want to face anybody. I think I'll go fishing. Now, fishing's a good thing when done in the right time. But it wasn't time to fish. It's time to show up. Thomas did the right thing. He showed up. See, what if Thomas doesn't show up? Let me tell you what happens. Then he's limited to one point of view. Guess whose point of view it is? It's his own, and it's not an accurate one. Thomas' point of view at home is this. Jesus, Jesus is dead. But you know what? He's not. He's alive. The cause is lost, but that's not true. The cause has just begun. Hope is gone. That's not true. Hope is just beginning to spring forth into life. But so long as Thomas is by himself and he's not there, he's never going to hear that. He's never going to experience that. And here's what's going to happen. I know because I've been there and so have you. When, when something happens and you're discouraged, you're disappointed, or somebody doesn't live up to your deal, or you don't feel like God's where He should be in your whole thing, then it's almost like a... When yours is the only opinion, it's like a snowball that just picks up speed as it goes an avalanche sort of goes down a hill and you, your, your attitude goes south in a hurry. And all you can think about is you're hurting yourself in worst case scenarios and you don't get any better. Isolation just fuels negative thinking. When you show up, you get the advantage of other people's experience. So you're not the first one who's been disappointed. You're not the first one that's been confused. You're not the first ones that didn't have things go the way you thought that they should. You're not the first one that ever battled with doubt. The disciples come to Thomas and they say, Thomas, we felt the same way you did. We were experiencing the same thoughts, but something happened. We saw Him. We saw Him. Here's what I believe. I believe that if you'll show up, you'll find that God sprinkles just the right people in your life to support you during the most challenging times of life. It's an amazing thing. I look back at every difficult turn in my life and I see that that God sprinkled. It's, sometimes I got to look for them. Sometimes they're they're right there and I don't see them. I'm thinking of one just recently when I, I told my wife Debbie, I said. This guy's here for this time. It's incredible. See, Proverbs 17, 17, it's a great verse, said that friends are born for adversity. Friends are born for adversity. I, I, I believe that when you go through hard times, when you go through doubt, when you go through things, see, there's always something that sparks doubt. It's, it's an event. It's a thing. It's usually kind of not on its own. There's something there. And when you, when you go through that thing, it comes as a surprise to you. The results came as a surprise to you. The fact that it didn't happen came as a surprise to you. But you know what? It's not a surprise to God. It's not a surprise to God. And if it's not a surprise to God, then He's at work behind the scenes on a solution before you even know there's a problem. I love that. 
And He has sprinkled people into your life. The reason they were born at such and such a time. One of the reasons they live down the street from you. One of the reasons they're in the small group that you're in. One of the reasons that they sit in the same area at church every week. You guys, I'm telling you, you're, you're such habits. I've seen people just glare at people when they sit in their seats. <laughs> it's my seat. It's where I sit. It's my neighborhood right here. I know these people. And the reason some of the people are right around you and the reason that they greet you at the end of the service and it's not an accident. It's they were born for adversity. They have another opinion. They've got another viewpoint. But you will never see it if you don't show up. If you don't show up. Thomas showed up. Showed up. So that's good. Even when you're drowning in doubt, just show up even when you don't feel like it. Second thing is this, and that's for some of you in the... Some of you, I'm glad you're here. Some of you are one of those that don't have doubts right now, but you will at some point before you die. You just remember when you're tempted not to show up, show up, okay? Show up, show up. God's got a plan for you. Number two, expose your doubts to the truth. Expose your doubts to the truth. Jesus broke through a locked door to expose Thomas to the truth. See, when you have serious doubts disappointment, confusion. It's like being trapped in a locked room. Have you ever heard people say, I feel trapped. I feel trapped. You know what? When you feel trapped, you are. And you know what's trapping you? It's, it's, it's your mind. It's very seldom the thing trapping you that you think it is. It's how you're looking at it. It's your outlook. It's your doubt. Trapped. Jesus broke through that. There's some things you can do to unlock the door and expose your doubts to the truth. We'll give you two or three of those. Everyone, just acknowledge your doubt. Just be honest about it. Don't beat yourself up. Why can't I be like so-and-so, you know? I mean, they never doubt anything. They, well, good for them, but you're not like them. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah, the greatest people in the Bible had doubts. David in Psalm 73, 2 and 3. It's not on your outline sheet. Very, very few things are this week, but it's okay. <laughs> David, this is a guy who's a man after God's own heart. Here's what he said. I almost stopped believing. I had almost lost my faith because I was jealous of proud people. I saw wicked people doing well. You know what that caused him to do? He, he doubted the goodness of God. And so he built this whole scenario in his mind. Man, bad people do good. I, I'm good and I don't do good. And my life's terrible. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat a worm. You know, that type of a thing. He just admitted it. Now he figured it out that he had a bad perspective and the things that he thought were true weren't necessarily true. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But acknowledge your doubts. Jesus asked a guy one time whose son was demon-possessed and was manifesting in some crazy ways and he'd been prayed for and nothing had worked. And he, So he brought him to Jesus. Jesus asked him if he thought healing was possible. I love Mark 9.24. He says, I do believe, but help me not to doubt. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel sometimes. God, I believe, I think. Come me some slack here. Help me not to doubt. Just be honest. Just be honest. God, I'm having a hard time with this one. Don't deny it. Pull, pull it in the light so it can be dealt with. Secondly, in kind of unlocking the door is, is you identify the source of your doubt. 
Identify the source of your doubt. What is it that caused me to start to doubt? That's where you need some other people. You need to just kind of process it. What happened? Was it an event? Was it a point of view that I assumed was correct? Help me to think this through. It helps even to write it out. What am I doubtful about? What is causing me to doubt? What, and, and then let's ask some questions about that. Go back through it, process it a little bit. And the third thing you can do is, is question your doubts. Question your doubts. Rather than defaulting to questioning God, how about questioning your doubts? Try this. When something bad or confusing happens and you're blitzed with thoughts of, that question the existence or motives of God, rather than defaulting to there's a problem with God, refocus the question on yourself. How about doubt yourself? I mean, we live in a age of, you know, everything's positive and you're wonderful and all this kind of stuff. Shouldn't you always believe in yourself? Yeah, except for when you're wrong. Okay? And it's entirely possible that your perspective is off. Rather than, you know, saying God's wrong, how about refocusing the question toward yourself? What am I missing here? Why am I so arrogant as to think that I'm right here? Why, what am I believing to be true that really isn't true? And it's fueling all of this, this doubt. Someone said, we will not believe in God most fully until we despair of ourselves more completely. And boy, that's true. And so when doubt comes, how about doubting your doubts? You know, I mean, just instead of, you know, this is, I, this is not true. No, wait, what am I missing here? Okay. So when drowning in doubt, show up, expose your doubts to the truth. And here, here's the third thing that you do that, that we can learn from Thomas is act on what you know to be true. Act on what you know to be true. See, the consequences of doubt is inaction. When you doubt, you're not going to do anything. You're going to be inactive. And doubt doesn't have to win. You, you, you can let it win, but there are consequences of that. And that's that you won't get anything done. You won't make progress in your relationship with God, other people, wherever it is. You've got to act on what you know to be true. Even if you don't know the answers to all the questions you have, what do you know to be true? Honestly, there are a lot of things that we don't know. There are some questions that may never be resolved in our lifetime. See, God hasn't guaranteed to tie up all the mysteries in a nice, neat, understandable package that will be delivered to you at some point. That's what John Grisham does. God doesn't do that. That's why we need faith. But our faith is wrapped up in one historical event. Jesus rose from the dead. That did it for Thomas. He probably had a lot of questions, but they were all pretty insignificant compared with the nails in the hand and the side. And you're alive. You're alive. My journey to faith, and I did have a journey to faith. I grew up in a Christian home and I'm proud of it and glad for it. Thankful for the church I grew up in. But when I got college age, as a lot of college students do, I began to question. And, uh, you know, the music of the time that I lived in encouraged a lot of questioning. The Beatles were big way back in the day. Noah had an ark and the Beatles were big. <laughs> and we just, we, we'd listen to every Beatles album. We, we'd just wait for it to come out to tell us how we ought to think about stuff, you know. I remember when they, John Lennon wrote, Love is all you need just before they 
broke up and started suing one another. Love is all you need. John Lennon encouraged us to, you know, what, what if there were no heaven? What if there were no hell? Why don't you examine, you know, where did all that come from? And I remember going through real questioning, looking at other faiths and is there really a God? And there was, there was a quote by C.S. Lewis. In fact, a lot of C. what C.S. Lewis uh, said really helped me in my journey. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true is of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's got to be either in or out. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul said this, If Christ was not raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your trust in God is useless. He says, if, it, if, if He wasn't raised from the dead, then Greg, I'm out of a job. And you might as well party till the cows come in because there's nobody home upstairs. But if He is God, if Jesus really came out of the tomb, then it changes everything. It proves that there is a God. And the lights are on and someone's in charge. And if He is God, I may not understand why certain things happen, but I don't have to waste time and energy questioning His existence. Do a little if then. If Jesus rose from the dead, then He's God. And you know what? There were uh, 11 guys left after Judas killed himself. One of those guys, John, died of natural causes, if you want to call it natural causes, after having been boiled in oil. The other ten died as martyrs. Some crucified upside down. Most of them tortured. All they had to do was deny the fact that they saw Jesus that day. The first, the first time and then eight days later. All they had to do was deny that. And they wouldn't do it. Because it was true. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then He's God. And if He's God, then what He said is true. If what He said is true, then, then God has a purpose for each one of us. Before the foundations of the, of the earth, God thought about you. The Apostle Paul says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that God has a plan for you. And then, then Paul says it this way. He says, it all comes down to this. If God is for us, who can be against us? And you know what? You may have questions. You may have doubts. But there really is only two statements that you, you get these two right and everything falls in order. Jesus rose from the dead. And if God is for me, who can be against me? If you didn't get anything else, but you got that and you lived every day of your life as if those two, those two statements were true, how do you think that life would be pretty good quality? Jesus is God. And God is for me. And if He is for me, then what possibly could be against me? So whatever happened to Thomas, let me just kind of close it up and give you the end of the story. The only other time we hear about Thomas is 
in the first chapter of Acts when it lists the followers of Jesus and those who were in the upper room. But we know a little bit more about Thomas just from some outside sources. It seems that in the 16th century that the European missionaries were going to India in order to evangelize a lost continent. When they got there, they were totally shocked by the fact that there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians who were already there. They said, where did the faith come from? And they said, there was a guy named Thomas that was here. Seems that Thomas became a leader of the church 20 years after Jesus commissioned them and ascended into heaven. Thomas got a vision from God, according to many sources. And in that vision, he was to go and to evangelize India. But he was reluctant to go because he was thinking Thomas. He wasn't feeling Thomas. He was thinking Thomas. I've got to have the GPS and all that kind of stuff. And so God aligned circumstances for him. He actually became a servant to an Indian merchant, uh, put him on a ship. How do you know that, uh, that God's going to get you there one way or another? And so he went to northern India. He arrived in northern India and he uh, became acquaintances with a very powerful king in northern India. And the king, uh, Thomas, was actually by that point, he was... Uh, a builder by trade and quite good at it. And the king said, I'd like you to build a palace for me. And I'm, you know, prominent. I want it to be the best palace around, the most prominent palace. He said, I'll build you the absolute best palace that you could ever have. So the king gave him the money and Thomas gave all the money to the poor. And the king called him to account and he said, well, I did build you a palace. It's not here. It's in heaven where your treasure is. There will your heart be. Just wait till you get there. You got a great palace up there. Well, that didn't play real well. It's one thing to think that about yourself, but you know, to use other people's money, it's a little harder. So the king put him in prison, but he got out. And ultimately, the relationship grew, and the, and the king, this Hindu uh, king, came to know Jesus along with many of his court and his family. Shortly after that, another king invaded that part of India, and Thomas evidently got on a ship and sailed down to uh, the Malabar coast to a place called Cochin, which... Coincidentally, 2,000 years later, my father became a missionary in that same area. Uh, Thomas began to preach the gospel to the cities along the Malabar coast. And they say that as many as 17,000 Hindus committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And so Thomas then went overland to uh, uh, the east coast of India to a place that's now called Chennai. And in Chennai, he again uh, became friends with uh, a Hindu um, uh, king and began to preach the gospel and many, many people came to know Jesus of every caste among the Hindu uh, people and system. Now, just kind of a side note, um, just a few years ago, in fact, I spent about six years, uh, once or twice a year, um, doing my missionary service in Chennai, India. And I trained Indian leaders uh, in principles of leadership. And they kept me in a hotel uh, a little ways from the church. And every morning when I would wake up, I would open the window and I would see this this mountain, the only mountain that you could see there in that part of Chennai. So I asked someone, what is that mountain? It was only maybe five miles from where I stayed. And they said, well, that's called Mount St. Thomas. I said, really? 
would someone mind taking me up there? And so I went up there. And when I got up there, I found that there was a little Catholic church that was built on the top of that mountain called St. Mary's Church. So I inquired a little bit as to why the church was there and why it was called St. Thomas. And it seems that, according to their legend, that Thomas preached the gospel in Chennai. And as he did, uh, the, the Brahmins who were kind of at the top of the food chain in the whole Hindu system, they were the priests, got upset because Thomas is preaching a gospel that says that there is no rich or poor, there is no male or female, that all are the same in the gospel. And it was upsetting the caste system because many from each of the castes were getting saved. And so the Brahmins asked the kings if they could uh, take Thomas captive, and they did, and they took him up on top of this mountain. They allowed him to pray one last time. And then they stoned him and stabbed him to death, and he became a martyr to the cause of Christ about 40 years after the day of his encounter with Jesus that day. Because... Thomas didn't remain doubting Thomas, but became believing Thomas. Millions came to Jesus and were freed from the wages of sin. Thomas' vantage point changed that day that Jesus walked into the room. And here's what I know. Your vantage point can change also. I don't know what kind of doubt that you may be struggling with today. It may be doubts about God or His ways, what He's done, or maybe even His existence It may be doubts about yourself and God's ability to use you. Those will keep us captive and keep us from our destiny. It may be doubts about other people. I do know this. Whatever it is and whatever your doubt is, it's standing between you and the destiny that God has for you. And you cannot imagine how big the scope of that really is. It could change your family. It could change your clan. It could change a city. And some of you, over time, God may want to use to change a nation. Let's deal with our doubt. Can we pray? Lord, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for this church and the people who are gathered here today, 2,000 years after that day and that story. God, I just pray that in our time together that you would just challenge us. God, you know each one of us. You know the issues of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and that we would just be honest with what you're saying and that we would respond in a way that would honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.